Lab talk with Laura. Listen, I implore ya. Won't never bore ya. Lab talk with Laura. Always more in story. Lab talk with Laura. Welcome to Lab Talk with Laura today. I'm very excited to have a whole bunch of STEM C's alumna in Ooh. the studio. Welcome, you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Great to be here. Um, I'm going to have you guys introduce yourselves. Maybe we'll start here and go around. Okay, cool. Hi, I'm Raquel. I'm a PhD student at UMass in the Geosciences Department, and STEM C's is awesome. That's just, you know, fact. But I've also been on the most STEM C's cruises so far, so I think... I have a I have a strong opinion about it. The but most of anybody, period, or anyone in the studio? Anyone in the studio and anyone, period. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, but I have been participating since 2016, and I've been part of um, the, the cohort of people that have been graduate student mentors on the expeditions. My name is Dr. Benjamin Kiesling. I'm a postdoctoral research scientist at Columbia University. I did my PhD here at UMass in the Geosciences Department. And I sailed on a SEMSEAS transit as a graduate student mentor this last summer in May of 2019. Raquel was the one that told me about STEMSEAS, and it sounded like an awesome program, a great way to get experience mentoring undergrads and introducing people to earth and ocean sciences. So I had an absolutely fantastic time. And we just got back from AGU, where we had great representation of STEMSEAS alumni, and a couple of students that I mentored got to present their work at the meeting, which was really fun to see. My name is Emma Robertson. Um, I'm a STEM C's alum. I'm an undergrad at UMass. Um, this is my senior year. I'm studying environmental science and geography. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she just finished her last final. Uh, yeah, Yay! she finished her last final. Um, got into grad school last week. Yay! <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I sailed with STEM C's um, this past May. We sailed from what's hold to Reykjavik, Iceland, which is sick. Um, but it was really awesome to present STEM C's. So presented AGU last week about STEM C's um, with a couple other students that I sailed with. Nice. Um, so before we jump in, uh, we've already like thrown down some acronyms. Oh, so oh, we're going to switch up the order the in this episode. Part. So I think it's time already to play a little bit of GTA. Uh-oh. Guess that act. Guess that acronym. So one, we've said se several references to AGU, right? Yeah. yeah. We all know what it is. I don't know how we Wait. play Guess That Acronym. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, we do have a guest in the studio. We have a guest in the studio. <laughs> so. Do you want to jump in? Okay. Um, Come to the microphone. Hi, I'm Nicole. I'm Emma's roommate, and I'm also a senior. Yeah, yeah. Right. Woo! <laughs> um, AGU. Oh, no. You can just make any random guess if you want. Um, any string of words that comes to mind is fine. Great universe. A great oh. universe. Oh. All, <laughs> all graduates unionized. We all liked it. Ooh. Uh, political. <laughs> At Harvard non University. Um, nice. Um, okay, no, that was wrong, though. As much as we all Dang loved it. that yeah, answer. That really I actually kind of wish that that's what it's been. A great universe. That would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But should we tell, should we tell them? Yeah. The American Geophysical Union. So Benjamin, you know a lot about the history here. Do you want to tell us about it? Well, I I don't know what like why it's called that. I don't know. It's used 100 years old this year. Is it a union? Happy birthday! It is not a union. It is not a union. It's not a union. It's something. Yeah. 
It's one of the largest Earth and Space Science professional societies, and every year they put on this huge conference that we affectionately could just call AGU. Um, historically, it's in San Francisco, but they've been mixing it up the past couple of years. But as Benjamin said, sorry, sorry, Dr. Kiesling said, um, it was a 100-year birthday, so we went back to San Francisco, the Moscone Center, um, to convene like more than 25,000, with, with more than 25,000 other Earth and Space Scientists, which... Always is overwhelming, it's a but lot. yeah. Hold on, before you go in, Nicole, we have another, <laughs> have another acronym. acronym. Stem Seas. Yeah, Stem-Seas is an acronym. Do you know right? what we all just have been casually referring to. We all know what it is. Do you know what it stands for? No, I have no idea. Okay, so the first part is just down. STEM. Like STEM. you know, STEM. science, technology, engineering, math. Wait, hey, halfway there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ding, now ding, all ding. you have to get is C's. Oh, is C's also an acronym? Yeah, S E A S. So tricky, right? Science. Engineering. <laughs> Again. <laughs> More of it. Double it. And science again. <laughs> okay, no. What's Accounting. It, what's, what's, does anybody know what STEM C's actually mean? Emma, what does this stand for? Um, so, oh, I don't even know if I <laughs> um, So the STEM part, science, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, student experiences aboard ships. Yeah. Okay, okay, nice, <laughs> nice. Okay, so I feel like that's a good lead-in to this interview that I did with Sharon Cooper and John... Lewis. Lewis. Um, last year at AGU, not this year, about how they got this program started. So maybe let's uh, take a moment and listen to that interview. Flashback. Okay. First, I'll just ask you to introduce yourselves. Say your name and where you're from, and yeah. Okay. I'm Sharon Cooper. I am at Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory of Columbia University, and I work with the drilling, the scientific drilling program, um, IODP, and also with the STEM Seas program, which is our program to put undergraduates on board uh, the academic research fleet during transits. My name is John Lewis, and I am a professor of geoscience at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, an unfortunately named institution. <laughs> it causes a lot of confusion. Um, and I am uh, one of the uh, co-PIs with Sharon uh, of the STEM Seas Project, which we're very excited about. Uh, and um, although I'm involved with marine, a little bit of marine geology, most of my work is on land. I'm a structural geologist, mostly working in Taiwan and, and to a lesser extent in Central America. Cool. So how, how long has the STEM Seas program been going on and what, where did the idea come from to start this program? So it started in 2016. Uh, we were funded at the end of 2015 and the transit started in 2016. And the idea came from uh, working with the scientific drilling program for a while with the Jody's Resolution. We had always, or in the past decade, we have used the transits of that ship to, for education and outreach purposes, for getting educators on board, and so because available berths on the ship is moving and transiting, and it's um, mostly empty, so we wanted to use that capacity. And we, we wanted to provide opportunities for undergraduates to get to sea, because they don't have so many opportunities to do that. And um, But the Joides is um, not in the U.S. very often, it's only one ship, um, so it's not very practical. 
so we started talking with the UNALS folks because they run uh, 19, it's 19, right? 19 or 19. 19 yeah. ships. And they also have transits that are often empty as well, except for the ship crew. And so those, that is capacity that we could use for undergraduates as well. I'm going to cut that interview short, but you can hear the full interview with Sharon Cooper and John Lewis on episode 30 of Lab Talk with Laura, the AGU episode. Uh, you can find that on SoundCloud or any podcast app that you use. We're going to jump back to the studio now and hear from Emma about her experience with STEM seas. Yeah, um, for me, that was my first time at sea. Um, it was kind of the first time I like thought that there was something that was possible for me to do. I... Um, studying environmental science and so I kind of knew I was interested in doing I guess science sort of research that was sort of centered towards that um but I didn't really see myself as someone like doing sort of oceanography um I grew up by the coast and so I guess maybe that's something I would have thought like okay that's that's kind of possible but like I mm -hmm. just I didn't really see myself there so it was really nice um to finally get that experience and it was something I really felt it was a catalyst for me. Um, I ended up at Scripps Institution of Oceanography later that summer um, um, doing research on Antarctic ice sheets. And so just having those two experiences back to back was sort of, um, I can't think of the word where. Um, Epiphany? Formative? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> both of those. With me just kind of deciding, okay, I want to go to grad school, but more than just grad school, that I wanted to continue um, doing science. Um, did um, the part where they talk about like bonding over seasickness did that <laughs> did that resonate for you? <laughs> so I um, before I left, I got a bunch of Dramamine um, and was just like basically ready to just like stock up and like take the entire time I needed to because we were sailing across the Atlantic and I didn't really know how rough it would get and I guess what my body would be feeling. Um, I took Dramamine the first day and then I forgot to for the rest of the two weeks, <laughs> okay. which meant that I didn't get seasick. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you um, forgot to take it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's how you know. Like If you've forgotten to take it, then you realize that you forgot to take it, um, you're probably not seasick and you're doing well. So that was a nice you know, realization for me that I don't get seasick, at least I didn't this time. Um, but one of my friends um, that I met was on the ship, another student, her name's Melissa, um, before she went on the ship, she knew she was someone that got seasick easily. Um, so she came just stocked up with um, Dramamine, the patches, the little like bracelets you wear, essential oils to sniff. <laughs> she had everything. Um, and she was still seasick. <laughs> um, I, um, there's a lot of, we were looking back at pictures when we were making our um, presentations for AGU, and we realized that <laughs> Melissa wasn't in a lot of the pictures. <laughs> We'd be like, wait, oh my gosh, remember this time? She'd be like, nope, napping. <laughs> like, uh, no. <laughs> She'd be like, I was looking up at the sky. But she did have a great time. Um, she actually, she sailed right after the end of her freshman year. Um, she was um, the youngest student on the ship. And while she decided that um, being on ships and being on the ocean wasn't something that's for her. Um, she definitely decided that she wanted to be more involved in science and she wants to pursue um, marine biology. Oh. Um, but, um, yeah, definitely, despite the times that, you know, she was just always, like, napping, we still had a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> right, that makes you sleepy. So, yeah, you know, like, it's yeah. like you can choose to be awake and sick or, like, asleep and okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she was, a, she was a trooper, and I feel like... Um, I've only been on one STEM seas expedition, but I feel like um, um, Benjamin and Raquel can like both speak to that. 
Um, there's usually at least one or two people that are just kind of seasick the entire time. And um, I don't know. I think they still have a pretty good time. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's brave that she like went even though she knew going into yeah. it. She yeah, she very much knew. Um, I remember she had like the little wrist. It was so cute. <laughs> Stocked <laughs> up. She had everything. <laughs> she had everything. But that's definitely something that I experienced too because John mentioned in his uh, interview when we sailed um, from Seattle to Seward, Alaska in August 2016. We had a student who was definitely sick the entire time. Like I think that they attended like one or two of our activities. But it kind of highlights two things for me. Like one, that's why we have like other things. Like you're not always like out on the deck getting wet, get it like taking things out, like doing actual science hands-on stuff like we do watch movies together at night or like mm. we try to use Facebook together on the slow internet you know there's other things that bring the students together so you don't have to feel like you're missing out on all the action there's like definitely other fun stuff we do together um, and then part of the seasickness issue is the motivation for if we're going somewhere really cool making sure maybe we have like a day or two where we can do something in the fields like a land activity oh, like okay. geology um, I know when we went to Alaska and I think when Benjamin went we went to go see a glacier after um, we got to port. So adding things like that so people who are sick on the ship can still experience um, the science and a new, just like the new place is really important. But um, the student that I'm talking about who was sick the whole time, I felt like would never get on a boat again. But then like two years later, he just sailed again. Um, so wow. it's, it's, it's like Emma was saying, it's like you still have such a great experience. You learn a lot about yourself that you can kind of see through the sickness, I guess, and still want to get back on a boat. So, um, Emma, let's chat about what your whole experience, I mean, we've been chatting about it, but, like, how did you get interested in this program? And, like, just tell me about, yeah, your experience. Okay. Yeah, yeah I met Raquel my freshman year. Um, well, I joined this program called LSAMP. Um, I got an email from the school about, like, if you want to do, like, sort of, like, scientific research, um, you want to work, work in a lab, um, join LSAMP. So I went, um, and... Um, the program director for LSM at the time said, I just spoke to this um, geology grad student um, who said she might be looking for an undergrad like research assistant. Um, I was in environmental science at the time. She was like, you know, it might be your thing. And I was like, yeah, I'll go for it. And so she connected Raquel and I. Um, and um, Raquel and I's introduction, we went and got coffee um, on campus. And basically just kind of blew my mind the first time, started talking about forums and microfossils. <laughs> I hadn't even like heard of these things. I was like, we can like tell like past climate change with them. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even know we could do that. Um, and so um, I started working with Raquel, um, basically helping her um, like process samples that she had gotten um, from, what is it, the like around the New Mexico mm -hmm. region? Around, yeah, yeah, around that region. Um, Wait, and, hold on. Ocean samples from New Mexico? There used to be an ocean there. Ah, okay. There's an, it's extinct. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for clarifying that. Paleo-oceanography, <laughs> so like studying old past oceans. Okay. Um, and so I worked with Raquel my freshman year, um, and I think that was just a really great experience, like introduction to science. I feel like sometimes um, based off of like, you know, experiences that I know other like undergrads have had, the first time you step into a lab, it can feel very intimidating. Um, either because PI, PI and other grad students just kind of have this seriousness about them that can make them a little bit unapproachable, like, you know, if you need to ask, like, stupid questions or if you just have no idea what's going on, if you're just interested. And um, 
I didn't feel that way when I first started working with Raquel. It was like working, it was like working with a friend, obviously like a more like knowledgeable friend. (laughs) But um, it was a really great introduction to like, okay, this is what science and research, you know, can be like if it's more accessible and more friendly. And I guess we can just fast forward to the sort of my junior year. I was applying for STEM C's um, and um, the Scripps RU program, which Raquel had done both of those and had told me about them. Um, and I ended up getting both of them. So it was looking like a really exciting summer coming up. Um, but I was still just kind of, I didn't really know if either of those things, that like science was exactly still something I wanted to do. I went into environmental science with the idea that I would go into environmental consulting. Mm-hmm. Um I took like a whole suite of environmental consulting classes my junior year and realized it was not for me. So <laughs> I kind of came to the end of my junior year um, and I was like, okay, um, I don't really know <laughs> what it is that I want to do. And I didn't really feel necessarily like a pressure, like, okay, let's figure this out. But I figured let's kind of give something else to try. Let's give, you know, another like little experience a go. And that's how I ended up doing STEM C's and the other RUs. And what's great about those short experiences is it allows you to explore without committing to something full term, long time, mm. and figuring out, okay, do I like, you know, is this something I like doing? Cool. So then you got into STEM C's. Yeah. So tell us about your your trip. So Where'd you start out? Yeah, we started off, um, we sailed out of Woods Hole, um, which is only about like two hours here. Um, and so, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. Did you say that you're from you're from the coast, right? So yeah. are you from near Woods Hole or somewhere I'm else? I'm from Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we started off in Woods Hole. Um, the entire group, um, everyone in the science party met, met up with each other, um, students and um, professors that were um, our leaders doing the ship, and Sharon was there also. So um, I had a lot of like misconceptions about what sleeping on the boat was going to be like or like what <laughs> it was even going to look like. My dad took me um, to a museum one time where we toured this Navy submarine and I just knew that they had like basically like those racks that you slept on where everyone hot, ra- hot racked and you didn't really get your own bed and so when I went on STEM C's, I didn't even think I was going to get my own bed. I thought it was going to be, like, switching off and sharing with people. And I know, I, I feel like that's definitely a question I could have asked somebody before I went. But, like, when I went, I basically... You were, like, ready. You were, like, that's fine. I, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, for the submarine life. Yeah, I... Sharon I, and John take notes. STEM C's submarine could be a fun oh future program. Um, oh, are there any student experiences on submarine? It sounds like Emma's ready to lead it as a mentor, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I thought I, I knew I was going on a ship, but I was prepared to go on a submarine. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just had that. I, I told you, you saw it, and then you were like, that's what it's like, right? Like, yeah. life at sea. Um, but yeah, we were sailing um, on the Neil Armstrong um which is obviously named after Neil Armstrong. What's really cool about that ship is they actually have his congressional medal on there mm. um, right next to a picture. And there's, if you kind of like, there's some like little Easter eggs around the ship where there's like a little like Lego man on the moon and like this one staircase. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of cool having like that little bit of history. I think the movie about um, him had just come out at that time and we ended up, that was our movie night on the ship that nice. we watched that movie. That's cute. We mostly were looking at using multi-beam sonar on the ship. So the interesting thing about um, the Armstrong is that was basically they knew that they wanted to have a ship. The Navy knew that they wanted to build a ship that um, 
could really, really use multi-beam sonar really well. Mm -hmm. um, and so they basically had the machinery and they were like, okay, we're gonna build a ship around this. So this ship was literally built um, oh, around. For that scientific yeah. purpose. Yeah. Because we were sailing um, from um, Woods Hole to Iceland, we were sailing across the Atlantic. Um, they thought it would be really interesting to do a lot of work with multi-beam sonar. So we got to have some experience with processing that data, cleaning it up, and also, you know, getting this imagery of what the seafloor below us looked like mm -hmm. um, as we were sailing. So yeah, they're basically sending out little sound pings. They'll come back, um, and they're basically able to sort of measure the depth. But also, you can get some readings on like, okay, what kind of materials? Um, wait, what? What is sort of not the composition, but like what the ocean floor is like that you're sailing above. Mm, like if um, it's soft or yeah. hard, like if it's yeah. rock or sediment or things like yeah. that, kind of. Was um, there anything particularly interesting about the bottom of the seafloor as you go from Woods Hole to Iceland? You get a mid-ocean ridge. Ooh, yes. Tell us about it. So where the two continents basically, like the North American plate and the European plate basically just come together, and so you get this ridge that sort of forms coming up as these continents. Um, as they drift apart from each yeah. other. As nice. they're born. Yeah. And the new ocean crest is born. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. So um, in Reykjavik, we basically went around sort of the Great Circle, which is sort of like a route that takes you on all, all of the things that you want to see in Reykjavik. So mm. some hot springs, you get to see the um, geyser. Um, you get to go see... Um, columnar basalt. Columnar basalt, yes. <laughs> um, and then you also get to see um, um, basically where the North um, American plate and um, the European plate basically are spending apart within Iceland because Iceland is on both of them. So you get to be in Europe and in North America Ooh, at the same time. Nice. Um, yeah, we also got to go um, to this black sand beach where they have a bunch of columnar basalt. Um, one of the students... Um, was literally just waiting the entire two weeks until we got to Iceland um, to see columnar basalt. And so when we found out that our field trip was getting cut short, um, sort of one ask that she had was that columnar basalt was not taken out of our field trip. Mm. If we had to cut something, we could cut the baths, or we, we, could, we could cut something else out, but like, please let me see the columnar basalt, because she had basically traveled all the way from California, and that was something that she was excited to see when she got to Iceland. So we did make it there. Nice. She saw her basalt. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it was, it was really nice after spending, um, two weeks with everyone on the ship, um, came out with some really good friends, tons of inside jokes, and it was nice try finally getting to spend some time on shore with people, especially, um, with people who were seasick, and, mm -hmm. um, I feel like their personalities definitely came out a lot more <laughs> on shore. They're, yeah, they're, one of the students, I, I felt like I didn't really know her until the, until the last day. I'm really glad that student advocated for their interest in columnar basalt, though. Should we tell people what columnar basalt is? Do Laura, think I think know? as you are the geomechanist oh. in the room, <laughs> you should tell us about columnar so, basalt. basalt. Let's start with basalt. Basalt is a Not lava. an acronym. <laughs> Not an acronym. <laughs> Nothing to guess there. You can make it one. Basalt is an igneous rock formed from lava flows. Um, it's got a lot of iron and magnesium rich minerals in it um, that make it dark usually um, and columnar basalt is when it the lava is cooling it contracts it gets smaller and it'll kind of break in this 
octagon pattern that is similar to like if you see mud cracks, right? Mm -hmm. But then that'll propagate down through the lava flow. So you'll just get these big hexagonal columns and they're very striking and beautiful. And you can see them in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Yeah, there's columnar basalts around here. I think probably not as striking as the ones that you went to in Iceland. Now you have to go to Iceland. Yeah, don't bother. Go to the source. There's no black sand beach in Holyoke, Massachusetts, unfortunately. No, there are some really cool uh, basalt Where volleyball was invented, can you imagine? It was on black sand beach. What are some of your favorite takeaways from this experience? Like... What do you think is like a thing that stands out to you? So one of my favorite things that we got to do um, was iceberg watches. Um, the crew invited us up to basically stand watch the bridge with whoever was on watch and basically look out for icebergs. Um, I can't say that I was any good at it. <laughs> but also, I just didn't see any icebergs. So, you know. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't see any? <laughs> True. Um, but it was also, um, you know, beyond the sort of, the, the science that we were learning, learning about um, plate tectonics, it was nice to just um, learn more about what it's like working and living on a ship. Mm-hmm. Um, um, because um, for um, the crew, that's how they spend like most of their year. That's how they spend most of their life um, on the water. And I think before I got on the ship, um, I, you know, I didn't quite understand why that was something that, that would be something that someone would want to do mm. um but after spending time on the ship but also talking to a lot of the people and you know um finding out you know how did you end up figuring out that working on a ship was something you want to do um why did you choose this career path or like why did you choose this specifically why did you choose to be an engineer on the ship or why did you choose that you wanted to be a captain of a ship um i you know i think it definitely um appealed a lot more to me than before i was on the ship um you know, there were there was every range of experiences from, you know, people that grew up on boats, so it kind of seemed like a more obvious career path, um, to um, there was actually one of um, the able-bodied sea, seamen um, was actually a researcher at University of Washington um, before she decided that she was kind of done with um, writing grant proposals, um, kind of, you know, needed a break from research, um, so she decided that she wanted to become um, an able-bodied seaman. And Can we going. talk about that title? Yeah. That's, that's something that I also, so I did like a research cruise a long time ago, and I was like, what is this title? Like, this is your job title, able-bodied seaman? Yes. But yeah. Yeah, they're also ordinary seamen. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, there's levels. And learning about all the work that has to be done with navigating and sailing, it's mm. not just... Um, autopilot? It's not just autopilot, it's not just driving a boat. I know... Um, I probably got annoying every single time. I was like, let me drive the boat. <laughs> None of them listened to Megan Thee Stallion. <laughs> um, you didn't introduce. You should have brought a speaker. I, I, no, they had, I, um, so they did have a speaker um, up on the bridge and um, asked me on Ox one time, and so I did get to put on a little playlist. Um, and we didn't have the greatest internet access, so I wasn't able to show them all the videos of um, – Megan um, letting people drive the boat. (laughs) 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 So, um, you know, the joke was lost on a lot of them. (laughs) But um, it made me crack up, you know, every time. (laughs) Every time I asked to drive the boat and they were like, no.
You are listening to Lab Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM WMUA Amherst. We've been talking in the studio with Benjamin Kiesling, Raquel Bryant, and Emma Robertson. We're going to shift gears right now and listen to a couple interviews that I did with STEM C's alumni at the recent AGU meeting in San Francisco. Um, okay, so first, could you just introduce yourself? Oh, um, so hello, my name is Al Hassan Al Sharbat, and um, I am. Um, I have a BS in biology from the University of Saint Thomas, and I actually just graduated um, four months ago. Uh, and uh, I'm a STEM C participant. I uh, I participated in a STEM C experience in uh, the July of twenty uh, July of twenty sixteen expedition, and it was one of the most like uh, amazing experiences in my life. Cool. Um, so, how did you find out about the STEM C's program? Yeah. So, um, it was very unexpected. Um, like I, I received many like uh, science uh, newsletters from uh, or advertisements or opportunities about from many of my, of my professors, and there was a program called uh, Texas STEM, which is um, like uh, it is it is a, a scholarship for uh, people who did um, like who did it in high school. Uh, the state of Texas gives them some like a, like a two thousand dollars scholarship. Okay. And one of the like the directors of the a T-STEM program like sent us an email telling us that there is a new program called STEM C's and it provides opportunity for students to uh, be on a researcher. So if you're interested, if you're interested, you can uh, apply for it. And I just, I mean, it's what, it's what I mean, um, I like, uh, since a very long time, I wish to participate in one of the, on, in one of these experiences. And when I uh, uh, found about it, I just immediately applied. and. Yeah, guess what? I got accepted. <laughs> nice. So, what did you study in undergrad? Oh, I was in community college at the, at the beginning. So, okay. um, because uh, I'm a newcomer, uh, I was a newcomer to this. Uh, I, I, came, I immigrated to the United States as refugees, uh, as refugee in 2014, okay, just that, uh, from Iraq, Baghdad, okay. Iraq, just as I finished high school, and uh, immediately after I started, the, uh, after I arrived to the U.S., I started my uh, community college because uh, going to the university was very expensive and right. I, I did not have a high school from uh, U.S. so I would, not get, I would not get any scholarships. I started my community college and uh, community college, I, I had biology in mind but with community colleges, um, with a community college, uh, it was more open, you know, like there are some mm -hmm. core courses yeah. you can, you can test things out. Yeah, yeah, you can test things out. But I had, I had biology in mind because I loved biology but since okay. I was in high school. Nice. And, uh, yeah. Cool. And so then you transferred from yeah yes yes okay. but but when I but when I participated in STEM C's uh, it was uh, it was during my community college. Oh okay nice. Yeah. So did that help you kind yeah. of hone in on what you were interested in or yeah um, so first of all I, I was interested I'm inter STEM C's is not just ge uh, it's most uh, when when we heard about it we hear we think it's like the C and the, uh, uh, it is uh, sponsored by uh, Geology Lamont and other uh, other geology institutions. Yeah. So we think it's all geology related, but yeah. it's actually open for all majors from um, and from in, uh, students from diverse backgrounds, uh, and it helps them uh, introduce them to the science world in in general. So, uh, so for me, I I like the idea of research, but I was a little bit. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to like a research program. 
because yeah. I mean I thought oh, it's like a lot of responsibility or it's hard or mm. but well and if you had no experience with research yeah. can you know you yeah. know you gotta yeah. try it a little bit to... yeah but uh, stem cells was my first experience to like real research okay and I became uh, uh, I figured out that I liked it and I became much more confident to participate in it yeah nice and uh, so when I finished my stem cells experience just about the next semester I transferred to the university mm. and I decided to uh, participate in a research program, and when I participated in it, I didn't have to like think because I was pretty sure that I like this is something yeah, I like and nice. this is something I uh, was exposed to. Cool. Um, so tell me about your transit. Like, where were you, where did you go from, and what ship were you on, and things like that. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so we tra uh, so we uh, my transit was in 2016, which was. Uh, uh, I, I think it's either Ju I think July, but maybe June. I'm not okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it was the second stem seas ever. Mm. So, uh, so stem seas, I believe there are about three uh, expeditions each year in okay. stem seas. Yeah. And uh, my st stem seas started in 2016, and I was the second. My expedition was that second. It was from. And, uh, it was about for seven days, but the stem seas expedition usually from set, uh, seven to ten days. And it was from Moorhead City in North Carolina, and that's where we met. Uh, and then we sailed all around Florida, and we ended our, uh, uh, aboard the RV Endeavor ship, and we ended our trip in the Gulfport, Mississippi. Okay. Um, and so, had you been on a ship like that before? No. no. Uh, or a ship at all? Or uh, I had I had been on a, on a like a, a cruise for like only for uh, like uh, about. Five hours. Okay. Yeah, it was from from Stockholm in Sweden to uh -huh. uh, uh, an island. I don't okay. I don't remember the name of the island. Okay. Yeah. So five hours. So yeah. you went for a week then. Yeah. Were you, no, it were was you a nervous much, about it. Of course, it was a much different <laughs> experience. Like when I went yeah. on the cruise, it was it was a more relaxed environment. You know, it was like um, a, a tourist. A yeah. Tourist cruise. Yeah. But this is no. This is you experience the life at sea. And like what is what is it like like to live in sea? Because you have a, your your own room. You live in this room for like a week, and uh, you like you eat at sea. You live at sea. You communicate at sea, and you do research about sea. Yeah. So, so it's much different. I'm curious, like, what did you expect, and how did it? Like, was it what you expected? What surprised you? Or uh, um, actually, I so since I was a kid, I used to watch National National Geographic Channel and other kind of uh, 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 t TV-related ch channels, uh, science-related channels, and I was always watching these uh, expeditions. But, how but however, but, sorry. No way. Yeah. Uh, but however, um, it, was just, it was just a dream for me, because, uh, I mean, in, in Iraq, we don't have such, a, such experiences. And uh, when I when I came here and, and heard about stencils, I had like a, I knew what this experience would, would uh, what such experiences would be like, but I, I would never dreamed of, dreamed of participating in such experience because so when I when I got accepted, my part, my expectations were very high because because I was very like. I was very enthusiastic, yeah. and actually, the experience—I mean—it did not go lower than my expectation. I mean, it, it lived, it lived up to it. So it, nice. it was a, it was a very um, amazing. Uh, yeah. Was uh, there anything challenging about being on the ship? Uh, for for me, for probably some students, the most challenging thing is seasickness because. Mm. For me, I didn't. Ha I, I had this problem for only the first three hours after the ship sailed, 
but then uh, I just got used to it. Okay. Some other students got uh, got uh, like a seasickness for two days, which was uh, yeah, which was very intense. Yeah. Some. Uh, so I think this is the most the most uh, difficult part of the of sailing on a ship. Other than that, the difficult thing uh, not that not that, not a difficult thing, but a challenging thing. You need to just be, try to engage in in the topics and in research because most of these uh, there are some mentors on STEM seas expedition and uh, of course they will uh, they'll provide us some information about research and what we need to do and most of this information uh, uh, are new to us mm -hmm. because um, first of all not all of us are science students and even for science students most of the most of the participants are not exposed to like uh, uh, oceanography or marine research or mm -hmm. any kind of like sea related research yeah so maybe we we just need to uh, read the information and the handouts uh, and the handouts before beforehand before you sell on the ship so you have a background about what to expect about the subject because if you come and you don't like ex you don't you don't have any background or you didn't prepare then you will not really understand what they are doing mm -hmm. and uh, I mean this is an amazing part of the experience and very important and uh, you don't want to lose that yeah so what kind of research did you do so we did many things but the main uh, the main research project was uh, Finding out the composition of the seafloor sediments okay. and what uh, what is the effect of the Mississippi, Mississippi River on on those seafloor sediments. Okay. And the way we did it, we took uh, core samples uh, far from the Mississippi River, uh, close to where we first sailed from North Carolina. Okay. And uh, we had a core sample that was taken close to the Mississippi River Delta, like okay. where we were supposed to like end our trip. How do you collect that? The uh, the, it was already collected from oh, a previous okay. expedition, okay, but yeah. uh, there is a special there is a special device uh, a special device on the ship. I'm not sure what it's uh, I don't remember what it's called. Okay. But basically, can drill a can drill a core sample. Okay. It's basically a, a column of a, yeah. of a clay, you know, of a seafloor mm -hmm. sediment. Cool. And uh, yeah, so we 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 studied the the sample of far from the Mississippi River and close to the Mississippi River okay. and we looked at them under the microscope and we saw the different sea sediments and uh, the, the samples far from the Mississippi River contained mostly biological sediments which are like micro uh, like fossilized planktons oh, okay. while the cl close to the Mississippi River sediments contained mostly heterogeneous uh, sediments like it means like sediments from the land oh, okay. uh, not biologic and that makes sense because as the Mississippi River water flows it will it will erode and break some of the stones on the land, mm. and will uh, will flow them close to its deltas. Yeah, cool. And uh, um, and of course, I mean this is just like the main research project. I don't want to give you uh, an idea that uh, an impression that STEM is all about research. Mm. Uh, so, for example, we did we we were given orientation by the team of engineers on the ship about the different compartments of the ship, how to manage a ship, how to. Um, uh, what are the different devi scientific devices we use to measure water pressure, to, to measure the wind speed, or other kind of to collect other kind of da uh, data? Uh, we also like um, so some very unexpected and unique things. Like um, I saw flying fish uh, during our our trip, okay. and, and I knew that flying fish. I mean, I saw them in the cartoons when I was a kid, but, but <laughs> right. I did, but I did not know that they exist in reality. I okay. Mean, I didn't. I, I, I've never seen a flying fish. So, can yeah. you, what is that? Like, what? it's basically a fish that has a, like a, 
a white fins. Okay. And the white fins uh, look like that look like swim, and it can just jump out of the water and, and fly maybe for, let's say, I would say for six feet. Wow. Out of the water and they will return. Wow. I saw them in like maybe Tom and Jerry or something, but <laughs> but, but you're yeah. like I didn't know this was a real thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. I thought it was just like an yeah. imaginary thing. It seems like a joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, and what even we saw some dolphins. Oh nice. Yeah, it was very nice, and um, we saw like very amazing sunsets every day. Um, cool. Um, yes. What was like the cohort like on the ship? Who else? Was sailing? Were they people from all over the country? Yes, yes. Or? This is one of the most like um, one of the most amazing thing about it because one of one of the most thing I like about traveling is uh, meeting new people from uh, uh, different backgrounds yeah. and instances, people from different diverse backgrounds, different majors, and different perspectives in life come from all over the state in in, in one place, and uh, for the next seven to ten days. Uh, you basically don't see any uh, any other person other than these people, so you sometimes you can form lifelong relationships with them. Did you have like a favorite part of the whole experience? Yes, yeah. Uh, it was about when I saw the Milky Way. Ah. So the Milky Way was was not actually on the a program checklist. Yeah. But one of my one of my uh, uh, one of the Samsi's mentor, Professor Pecker. Uh, he, he's a geologist, but he knows a lot about astronomy, and and we, I was talking with him about stargazing. And um, during our talk, I mentioned that I've never seen the Milky Way uh, because, like, when, uh, when I was a kid, I lived in Baghdad, which is a big city, mm. and right now I live uh, I live in Houston, which is also a big city. So, yeah. So we can I we cannot see clear skies. And uh, he said, "Oh yeah, really?" Um, and he invited me to wake up at 4 a.m in the morning to see the Milky Way. And we did it, we, we, we woke up, we went uh, on the top of the deck of the ship, it was very dark, and, but it, it was a very amazing uh, scene. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think that's all my questions, but is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to bring up? Um, is there anything else I, don't, I want to bring up? Um, yeah, I want to just to encourage every every undergrad student who wants to live in extreme environment and try new things uh, to try this amazing experience it's it, it totally worth it and uh, uh, the most important the most like important thing about this experience is it's totally free mm. and it's very important because uh, they want uh, students from uh, uh, lower socioeconomic uh, levels yeah and usually these experiences are expensive yeah you need to pay for them right but with the stem seas it's all natural uh, it's funded by the national science foundation the program is funded uh, so it's students who get accepted they don't have to pay any. yeah uh, they don't have to pay anything and that's very important because it allows them to select students from diverse backgrounds and lower economical levels yeah, yeah. Nice. That was Al Hassan Al Sharaba, and now we're going to listen to another interview with a STEM Seas alumni. I'm Michael Martins. I am a STEM Seas alumni. I traveled on the Sekuliak in the May of 2019. Cool. Um, and so, where do you go to school? I'm a student, a undergrad at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, where I study mathematics. Okay, nice. Um, so, how did you find out about STEM Seas? Well, I found out about STEM Seas because I'm really fascinated by the Sekuliak, the research vessel that's oh. owned by NSF but operated by my school. 
and my first semester at UAF, I took a oceans class, which is a general ed requirement type science class with the lab. And in that class, my professor was, uh, he was a Swedish professor. He went by Peter, super cool guy, um, made research team super cool, and it is super cool. And he was always talking about all these, you know, research vessels he would go on. He would talk about, like, uh, American research vessels. He would always talk about how the Swedish research vessels had jacuzzis on them for whatever reason. <laughs> and he made it sound like this amazing, super cool experience. And, you know, paired with his tellings and the fact that I knew that my university had its own research vessel, it made me just really interested. Um, piqued my curiosity and it made me follow everything that was happening with the Sekuliak and once I heard that there was this program where undergrads could get on the Sekuliak, I was blown away, you know, nice. I didn't think undergrads could do something like that. Cool. So I'm curious, like, as you're following the progress of the Sekuliak, like, what kind of stuff were they doing that you were, when you were, like, looking into that? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of the things are just kind of like, you, you know, you follow the Instagram page and the Facebook page, and, like, that's, like, the like the, 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 the most, uh, that's, like, the easiest way to follow it. Um, it's, like, the most basic way, you know, you get kind of, like, the more general science communication audience when you follow those pages, whereas, you know, maybe if you were, like, following something academic, it would be more um, presentation-type, like, uh, AGU-type work, where the... <laughs> The, the the material is more scientific, mm -hmm. so originally I was just kind of following the colloquial pages, and just kind of like when, you know if I ever heard someone that was on age like on the Sekuliak, I would talk to them, kind of like pick their brain about it, um, ask them you know questions like Have you ever seen undergrads on the Sekuliak? <laughs> Um, but it was a lot of like you know the basic oceanographic stuff you'd see like CTD scans or What's CTD C cast, rather. That's What's a CTD cast? I don't know. What that that's is. That's uh, conductivity, depth, and temperature. Oh, okay. I believe so. It's uh, it just goes it's a big device with like lots of chambers of water, normally like, 24 different chambers of water, so it can collect 24 different samples of water as it descends, and it can find the salinity. Um, and uh, the temperature at various depths, and I believe it, it can record other samples since like, you're actually collecting water samples, so you can test each water sample for any uh, attribute you want, of course. But um, it's like it seems to be like you know, like the the mascot for uh, the poster boy for oceanographic uh, instruments. Okay. Um, it's always like you know if you're gonna if you tour a research vessel, it's like usually like one of the toys, you know, one of the whistle bells and whistles they show you. Okay. Yeah, and what kinds of so obviously you're getting depth and temperature and what was the third? Salinity. Salinity, okay. And so like what are those things informing you about? So I guess you could look at that to find different information about like different types, uh, different bodies of water. Mm. Like, even though the ocean is kind of like one big thing, there's definitely like, there's different part types of water in the ocean that kind of share different attributes. Um, I, I like, you know, I, I believe uh, from going back on my, my foundation from this oceans class I took a few years ago, there's like, you know, Arctic deep waters um, mm. and like these kind of like different waters, even though they, you know, they touch each other, they have different properties and you can kind of like see how they're circulating throughout the, the world. And with a CTD, you know, you can find like you can take these measurements you can take these samples of waters and you can kind of like determine which section of water is circulating near you yeah cool nice so you found out that there was a way to get on the sekuliak 
So yeah. And so you applied and you got in. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Since you're an alumni. So what was the ship like? Like how many people are working on the ship? Yeah. Mm. Did it, it sounds like you knew a lot about it going into it, but were anything surprising? Yeah. So I knew a lot about it, and I also built it up in my head a lot. Mm. And you know that's kind of a dangerous thing to do, but. It still surpassed my expectations, oh, wow. uh, despite all this kind of like fantasizing you know, <laughs> I had done about this academic program and this uh, opportunity. Um, in terms of the like the makeup of the ship, it seemed to be about half science, half crew. Okay. And between the crew, there's kind of two ships of crew. So I think you only kind of see like you know you see half the crew, and then the other mm. half is you know you can go the whole, whole trip without you know seeing some of these people. Um, but the the science, you know, the, at least for STEM C's, you know, it was mostly undergrads. There were a few of the, the mentors. So we had three mentors plus a, a TA who was a, you know, a student on a STEM C's expedition before, but then he was recur- he was returning, kind of uh, assisting one of the mentors. And the mentors ranged from, I believe, two of them already had their PhDs, and the third one was in the process of getting their PhD. Uh, he's a doctor now. So. Uh, okay. He since has complete that. Wait, so you mentioned <laughs> that Swedish research ships have jacuzzis on them, right? Yeah. So okay, was there a jacuzzi? No, we didn't have a jacuzzi, <laughs> but we did have the, quote, hyperthermic recovery chamber, mm-hmm. which was just the fancy way of saying steam room. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... And is that an integral part of ocean research? <laughs> well... <laughs> Yes and no. Okay. I say, I mean, I think the steam room is just there, you know, for the benefit of the scientists. But I know NSF, um, in all of their programs, they put a lot of emphasis in um, making sure that the scientists have, you know, things to do for fun, um, activities, um, mm. especially like when you look, you know, research vessels are isolated. Um, you, if you look at any of the NSF programs in Antarctica, that's massive isolation, mm. um, no Wi-Fi. So like, there's kind of parallels between being on a research vessel and going to Antarctica. And you know, you go to, you look, you can watch videos of these Antarctic bases uh, operated by NSF, and they have music rooms, they have art and crafts rooms, they have uh, libraries just for recreation, yeah. and they have all of this fun. Mm. So, you know, that's a very important part of a lot of these expeditions. <laughs> but so this is also important if you're in the Arctic and it gets really cold, you need a place to get really warm. Or is it not? Um, is it? <laughs> I don't think there's too much of a, a survival uh, okay. aspect to it. I okay. think it's mostly just for morale. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to imagine, though, that in the, you know, in jest, of course, that, like when they were submitting the budget for the Sekuliak, they the first time they submitted it, they put, like, you know, 20000 for a steam room and it got uh, declined and then they just changed it to hyperthermic uh, recovery chamber to yeah, make it sound more... Yeah, recovery chamber. Yes. Sounds important. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So what kind of stuff did you do on the... Tra- where was the transit from? So the transit departed from San Diego okay. and we, we cruised all the way up the coast to Seward, Alaska. So kind of in the, the southwest of Alaska. And we didn't see land. We, you know, the last time we saw land was in San Diego. Okay. And we didn't see land until we got to Alaska. The, and you How saw, long was it? It lasted 10 days. Okay. Best 10 days of my life. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you do while you were on that transit? So I feel like since we went on this transit through Semsees, I feel like we got a much wider experience 
I feel like we got a much wider variety of experiences than most people do on a research vessel. Mm. Um, we got to experience each of the research of, we got to experience all the research of each mentor on the expedition, as well as experiencing what the crew was up to. Okay. So every day was kind of split into three sections, the academic portion, the ship portion, and I guess you could call it the nautical portion. Ah. The academic portion, the nautical portion, and the kind of recreation portion. So the, we would start each day just in a classroom setting, lab setting, learning, uh, testing, uh, doing science. And that was with the, the three main mentors. Uh, so we had Benjamin, he was a paleoclimatologist and glaciologist. So we could do anything from looking at an ice core sample to determine what the atmosphere looked like 60,000 years ago and creating a timeline, um, to looking at ice sheet models and seeing how global temperatures affected shapes and uh, volume of polar and subpolar glaciers. And Annelise was our second mentor. She came from a biology background, so we, with her we were looking at DNA sequencing, and we were able to collect actual samples from the ocean on a transit while, and take those samples, put them through a sequencer, and find out what the DNA was, what the DNA was comprised of within the samples, and determine uh, what was the what type of bio. Biodiversity and what type of uh, life was inside these samples. Okay. And we were water samples. Yeah, water samples. Okay, so you're measuring like the the small life forms in there. Yeah, and yeah. then you know we take apart their DNA to read it, and then we we would uh, we would correspond to what we had to a database, and you know mm. some of the some of the times it would be already in a database, so we could say, hey, this is um, this phytoplankton or whatever it may have been. And if it wasn't a database, we could upload it and have been the first person to ever DNA sequence this organism. Really? Did that happen? Yeah, that happened. And oh my goodness. Yeah, because a major, you know, a huge uh, majority of uh, ocean life has not been DNA sequenced. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Nice. And then we were able to look at you know the same organisms under a microscope and then compare the organisms we saw to see if they did indeed match up with what the sequencer said. And when the sequencer gave us a, a read, they matched up with what we saw. So it was cool to have the kind of like our optical observations with uh, the more like quantitative observations match up. Nice. And our third mentor, Cynthia, Dr. Cynthia Hall, she she has a PhD, but she also is a farmer. She studies geoscience, I believe, and she is able to use her geoscience knowledge to improve farming in, uh, for her, but also for other people who do like urban farming in Philadelphia. So she has an XR, an XF, an X-ray fluorescence analyzer. XFA. XRF. Oh. Yes. Okay. No, you got XRF it. XRF. Yes. XRF. Yeah. Okay. XRF. Okay. And with the XRF. She's able to look at metal alloy contamination inside soil samples. So in an urban city where there's lots of pollution, there you know the soil gets traced with lead, which is you know bad for the crops. It's you know you, it's bad for even just like kids playing like you know. Right. So we were able to learn about her work. So that was the academic portion. Ship life, we, you know, we helped with watch duty at night, uh, sitting up in the bridge. Uh, the bridge of the ship is kind of like if if you've ever watched Wally, it looked. I swear to God, it looked identical to the the you know the room with the the villain in Wally, where the the ship turns out to be evil. Um, there's an uncanny resemblance, actually. What are you watching for?
Uh -huh. um, we were just watching the horizon, um, seeing if there's any other ships, uh, life on, you know, we saw whales, uh, I saw many whales, uh, dolphins were playing in the wake of the ship as we cruised along, um, just looking for anything really. Nice. Cool. Um, let's see. So what was your favorite part of the whole experience? Wow, my favorite part. You know, <laughs> there's so much know, yeah. good going. We could start with what was the worst thing? The worst? <laughs> was there anything that was unpleasant about it? Not really. I mean, okay. a lot of people got seasick, but oh, I was one okay. of the lucky two. Oh. And honestly, even the seasick wasn't that big. Like, you know, adversity breeds team bonding. <laughs> okay. So kind of yeah, it was a, a common struggle to overcome on the first few days. And yeah. after we went through that, you know, we were, it's like, we'd been to hell and back, you know. <laughs> um, How is the food on the ship? Oh, the Sakulia food is best food I've eaten, you know. I, I've, really? been, I've been to like restaurants that was amazing, but like, this is the best I've eaten consistently, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for, you know, a, a sustained amount of time. Nice. Was there, was, was there a cook? Was there a dedicated cook? Yeah, so we had dedicated cooks, and the food was, you know, I tried so many things for the first time. Um, one day for breakfast, we had like avocados, and like where the pit was, they had like a fried egg. Wow. Um, we had, we literally had like steak too. Um, a lot of this food was, really delicious and fresh despite being on a research vessel. Circling back, what's your favorite part of the experience? Okay, the Sakuliak itself, great research vessel, the people, literal Stemsey's family, like 10 days does not sound like a lot, but I'm so close to all these people. I think being on sea might have been a very unique experience, you know, there's lots of field opportunities, um, you know, you go to see a research range, you spend a day there, and you go back to your home. And that's kind of it. But STEM C's, since we were living together, eating together, bunking together, working together, doing everything together all day, it really forged like these close bonds between everyone. And I think that was a really powerful experience that kind of increased every other aspect of the opera of the program. Mm. Nice. Thanks so much for talking to me. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, cool. That was Michael Martins at the AGU meeting last December in San Francisco. Okay, we're going to jump briefly back to the studio for a few last thoughts about STEM disease. I think the only thing that sort of came up from John and Sharon's interview is that programs like this can be really impactful for undergrads who are still trying to figure out, like, what is it they want to do? And what I love about STEM disease is it just takes advantage of an opportunity that was sitting there unused. Mm. It was thinking about... There's room to bring people onto these vessels, you know, during a transit that's already planned, during something that already has to happen. So it's a pretty low cost in terms of actually getting people out there to get on the ship, and then everything else is going to happen anyway. But it's a really high impact because mm -hmm. you're able to reach a lot of students. And I think especially with STEM Seas, they're really intentional about trying to recruit students from, we had a lot of students from community colleges thinking about where are students studying where they might not have access to these kind of opportunities otherwise. And it makes me, it sort of is, inspires me looking towards the future to think about where are there other opportunities for something like this? Where is there science being done? Where are there scientific experiences? Where there's room for more people? And how can we tap those resources to broaden participation in these kind of programs? Um, and so I hope, I think it's pretty visionary what they've been able to do with STEM Seas and the partnership with UNALS. And I hope that looking towards the future, more partnerships like this can be developed so that even more students can have these sort of impactful experiences. 
So the 2020 schedule is now open. Um, yeah. I you know should... what the deadline is. It's kind of it's rolling. I so can, okay. if yeah, you're interested, yeah, if you're interested in a cruise that's earlier, just like get it in as soon as possible. But that and that also means that it's open for graduate students, postdocs, and faculty and staff at different university like institution or research institutions that are interested in being in participating in any way in STEMCs. Um, there's also a way for you to apply and designate what uh, expeditions you're interested in. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. Guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Laura. This is really fun. Yeah. You just listened to Lab Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM, WMUA Amherst. Today we were talking about STEM season. We heard from a lot of people. We heard from Benjamin Kiesling, Rick Hell Bryant, Sharon Cooper, John Lewis, Emma Robertson, Al Hassan Al Sharabat, and Michael Martins. Thank you so much to all of my guests. The jingle at the beginning of the show was written and produced by Matt Woodland. And you can find Lab Talk with Laura on SoundCloud, Spotify, or any other podcast app that you use. Online hosting of Lab Talk with Laura is supported by the Emmerich Labs and the Polymer Science Department. Thank you so much for listening. Keep it locked to 91.1 FM WMUA Amherst.